Just as in prayer, when you come before God and pray, you can't just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Just the same thing in worship. Now, we sometimes sing songs. You know, Phyllis will get up here, lead us in some songs, and we'll say those same words over and over again. But that's the song. But there's times that we just leave the song. And we just begin to praise God. And during those times, make sure that you don't just keep saying the same things over and over again. If you continue to say the same thing over and over again, you are no longer worshiping. You're using vain repetitions. No matter how much you mean it. Jesus says Himself, pray without vain repetitions. And worship is a form of prayer. So just make sure that we we do that. What's going on with you now? What are you worshiping God for now? What are you thanking God for now? And if you don't get anything new to be worshiping God with, thanking God with, your relationship's getting a bit stale. And that'll come out. No, you need to let it grow. You need to be developing in that. You know, if you just keep on going over there and we're between the songs and you get between the songs and other people are beginning to worship God and worship God and you just go up, thank you, Jesus. 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 Now, how many of this will get irritating with you after a while? And why do we do it to God? What does thank you, Jesus mean? What are you thanking Him for? You're just saying thank you, Jesus. Oh, how about this one? Praise God. Oh, praise you, God. Oh, praise you, God. 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 What are you praising Him for? See, vain repetitions get into a thing of showmanship. I may not mean it that way, but that's what it does. And that's what Jesus was saying, but don't become like the Pharisees, for they're showing off for their many words. We cannot continue to say the same things. We must say new things. It's a conversation. You don't have a conversation with people and do the same thing. How many of you all like it when someone tells you the same joke twice? What happens the second time you hear the joke? I already heard that one. I don't want to hear that again. I heard it. But sometimes you'll listen to it a second time, won't you? But a third time, you'll put your foot down on the third time. Uh, I already, you already told me that joke twice. I already heard that. You'll stop them. We've got to get that way with, with God. Tell me that you run out of things to say to God. Tell me you run out of things to worship Him. If you have, study His Word. Live a little. Let God enjoy your life. What has God done for you this week? If God's done nothing for you this week, what are you worshiping Him for? God should have done something for you this week. We can thank Him for the, for the moments that we're in, the things that were going on. But don't keep... I mean, sometimes in prayer we have these phrases that we use. How many of y'all grew up with the phrase, in Jesus' name, Amen? How many find that you're using that all the time? Why? I mean, Jesus starts out this prayer, Our Father in Heaven. How many times do we start that out? Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be thy name. Why? Well, that's how Jesus started the prayer. We just, no! How many other prayers did Jesus start out that way? We don't have any other one recorded. This is it. Don't use vain repetitions. Get them out. If you find yourself repeating something over and over again, just know, aha, that's me. I can't be doing that anymore. Quit repeating. Quit repeating. Whether it's the way you end a prayer, whether it's the way you begin a prayer. Whether you go into the times of praise without, without words, 
Don't be repeating. Let it come up from the inside. Worship God from... Let God become new to you. Let God become real to you. Let it come from your spirit. Too often we're worshiping God with our head. And in the same way we're praying to God with our head. We're not letting our, our heart get involved. Just praying for, for my head. Well, but I, have, I haven't prayed for missionaries for a while. I guess I ought to pray for missionaries. And we just start praying for missionaries. Well, is that where, where God's leading you to pray right now? Is that where God's saying, I need prayer right now? Pray with the Holy Spirit. Pray without vain repetitions. Mark eleven twenty three. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Believe in what you pray or don't pray it until you do. Why in the world make a prayer for something if you're not in faith? Get yourself in faith first, then make the prayer. Too many times, folks, as Christians, we make a prayer because we found out I can. I'm supposed to. I should. And we make the prayer, but there's no faith with it. We're not in a faith, faith place yet. Get yourself in a faith place. Have the boldness to stand up to the folks that are around you and say, you know what, I'm not in faith on that yet. But I'll get there. Let me go on home meditate on that for a little bit. I'll get myself to that place where I'm in faith. And then make the prayer. Make the prayer when you're in faith. For whatever you say to this, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. We've got to get ourselves to the point where we believe that what we're saying will come to pass. If we don't believe that what we're saying will come to pass, then we need to get back into His Word and find out what His will says, what the Word says about His will. Because faith begins where the will of God is known. Know what His will says. When you get yourself to a place where I can believe that. I'm not wishing and hoping. No, I, I, I know that's what the Word of God says. I can do it. I can believe that. He also says in this, this verse, pray without doubt. So pray with faith and pray without doubt. Get rid of the doubt. He doesn't just say pray with faith. He says, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes. So pray with faith and pray without doubt. Get rid of the doubt. Verse 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. We've got to pray with understanding. I have to pray with the understanding that I receive what I ask for now. I receive what I ask for now, though I may take possession later. But I receive what I ask for now, even though I may take possession later. So what if you take possession later? Understand, I receive it now. It's mine now. I asked, I believe, and I receive. Have that understanding. You've got to pray with understanding. You can't just pray and, well, I'm not sure how that's supposed to go about. I'm not sure what the Word of God says on that, but I'm just going to pray this way. No, get your, get your understanding and get out there and pray. Pray with understanding. He goes on in verse 25. And whatever, whatever you stand praying, if you, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. So I pray with the understanding, but I pray without unforgiveness. Don't pray with unforgiveness in you. Get rid of all that stuff. You don't need that. That will hold you back. So we know these things that Jesus taught us about prayer. Pray with the Holy Spirit. Pray without vain repetitions. Pray with faith. Pray without doubt. 
pray with understanding and pray without unforgiveness. These are the things that we're to have. These are the things we're to walk in. So Jesus, in this teaching, will not teach anything against these teachings because He's already taught these. He's already laid these foundations down. So He's not telling us to repeat this prayer. You know how many churches that you know go into, they all start out, as soon as they start out, Our Father, then the whole church just goes off and they all begin to say it. Well, it's good to read Scripture together, but that's not prayer. He says in in, uh, Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions. And then He goes on after the 7 and 8, and He teaches this same model prayer. But He says, don't use vain repetitions. We can't go around saying this thing. This is not prayer to go out there and say it. Just because I said this model prayer doesn't mean I prayed. There's some things He wanted us to learn from that. We're not going to get into those here tonight. But on the area of unforgiveness, pray without unforgiveness. Unforgiveness blocks me regardless of what the offender has done. Don't let it block you. Get rid of unforgiveness. Don't have that that there. But let's go on with the parable. This is where we wanted to focus was on this particular parable. And He said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now we have a couple of characters in here and I want to identify all of them. First off, we have the the main character of the story, the guy who's doing most most of the talking. We have a friend of a friend and we have the one who has the bread or the, the master here. So I, I went on through and I identified. I just gave names to these guys, uh, descriptive names. But these names might help you for us as far as us uh, keeping them straight. The first friend we're going to call Help. He's the guy who has the house next door. He is the guy who the friend came to at midnight looking for lodging. We're going to call him Help. He knows his neighbor friend, the neighbor friend, the guy who has the, he's already gone to bed. He's bred. Because he's got bread. So we got help and we got bread. And then the other friend, which is the friend of help, we called him hungry. Alright, that way we'll keep, we'll keep him straight. So we got the friend of the friend who's hungry. We got the friend who's the help. And then we got the other friend who is bread. Because they're all identified just as friend. Which of you has a friend who when a friend comes to you, you know, they've got a lot of friends going on here. So we understand they're all friends. But here we're just to help us out. We got help, we got bread, and we got hungry. Who's hungry? The guy who came to the guy's house. The guy who came to the, whose house? Help's house. And so help doesn't have any bread. So where does he go? He goes over to bread's house because bread has bread. All right. So that way we can keep them all straight. Now he tells us. Understand? He makes up this story. So this story means exactly what it wants. He wants it to mean. That first off. The friend comes at midnight. How many of you have friends who come at midnight? Not usually, but we can usually make better plans. You know, we have cars, we have things like that. We know how long it takes us to get different places. But, um, you know, they were, they were, this guy was traveling and for some reason got delayed or maybe he um, didn't get as far as he wanted. He was thinking of going past. We don't know what it was, but whatever it was, he came here at midnight. Midnight's a late hour. How many of you are up at midnight? Some of you are. Some of you are not. Some of you go to bed earlier. Some of you go to bed later. We all have different times that we go to bed. But midnight, I'd say that most people are going to bed or getting near to go to bed. So a friend came to him at midnight. We don't know what state he was in. 
Apparently, it's not important to the story. Was he in bed and got up to take care of his friend? You know, that's help get up and take care of hungry. He apparently had no problem getting up at midnight. But bread doesn't want to get up at midnight. Help got up at midnight and went over and opened the door and brought him in but found out he didn't have any stuff for him to take care of, to, to feed him. And he was hungry. He wants to go get some food. Now, he comes over to Bread's house and Bread has the idea that he'll just fast till the morning. He'll get spiritual. Now, does Bread know hungry? No, Bread doesn't know hungry. If Bread and hungry were acquainted, hungry could have gone to Bread's house and just lodged there instead of coming over to Help's house. But he went over to Help's house because he knows Help. He doesn't know Bread. Understand, they're right next to each other. If help tells Hungry that bread has bread, I'm going to go over and get it, but Hungry knows bread, why doesn't he just go over and help and get help himself? But he doesn't do it. Why? He doesn't know him. Hungry does not know bread. And that's kind of important in all this. The, when we, have, we only have two characters we know of over at Help's house. We have help and we have Hungry. If, if help has a family, we don't know about it because they're not involved in the story. We only have two people. So out of those two people in that house, only one knows bread. Now, it's nice to have a neighbor that you know always has bread because you're out. But the neighbor has bread. Apparently, he always has bread. Help is so sure that bread has bread that he goes at midnight and knocks on the door and asks for some. Because apparently, in the relationship that help and bread have, help knows that bread always has bread. I mean, why doesn't bread just say, I don't have any bread? I mean, help's out of bread. He could understand that, can he? Help has no bread. But bread doesn't say, I don't have any bread. Because bread has bread. He's got some. So we got a friend of a friend. But bread doesn't know hungry. Hungry doesn't know bread. They don't know each other. Now, we're talking about prayer, aren't we? So somehow this has to be related to prayer. And if we're going to take anything out of this teaching, it can only relate to the type of teaching and type of prayer that He's directing us at. If you have a situation, as we have here, does help need bread? No. Does help ask bread for bread for Himself? Never one time. All he ever does is say, I have a friend and I have, no, I have no bread to put before him. So give me enough to put before him. He's not asking for bread for himself. All he's asking for is bread for the friend. The guy named Hungry. And the response that he gets from bread is, you know what? I might still be up, but the rest of the family, they've all gone to bed. And if I get up, I'm going to wake them up or stir them because, you know, the activity going on in the house. You, know, you all know that will wake people up. That will get things going. If you've got little kids and you got activity in the house, what happens with little kids? They tend to wake up. And he just says, you know what? That's, it's just not good for our household right now to, to do that. He doesn't even say, you know, give them any alternatives. He just says, you know, go. Leave me alone. It's, it's late. Let's read it all over here. For a friend of mine has come to me on this journey and I have nothing to set before him. So he's on a journey. We know that about the hungry guy. 
And he will and he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. So you got to get the picture of this. He's talking about persistence. Bread is not going to help help because of their friendship. He's not going to do that. But help is going to continue to knock on the door. Can't ring the doorbell. They didn't have doorbells back then. He's either going to knock on the door or continue to holler from outside. Bread, come on, get up. I need some bread. Give me some. I know you got it in there. And so at one point, bread is going to decide that the commotion that help is making at the door is worse than if I get up and get him some bread. Now, if you are bread and you get up and you get some bread for help, how do you give it to him? Man, I'm so sorry. I should have just gotten up and given this to you. Is that what you do? Or what do you do? Here! <laughs> throw it at him. May not even open the door. May throw it out the window. Hit him in the head. Something like that. Here! Now, hush! Leave me alone. You don't expect to get a real positive approach here, do you? But this is the parable. This is what he teaches them. Let's go on. I say to you, although he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, understand that help and bread have a friendship. They have a friendship. They are not just neighbors. They have a friendship. How many of y'all have neighbors that you are friends with? How many of you have neighbors that you don't even know? You're not even acquainted. This is not the case. This is a neighbor that help is friends with. They're, they're on friendly terms. He won't give to him because he's his friend, but he'll give to him because of his persistence. So what we're finding here is a situation in prayer in which the one who knows bread cannot get what he needs based on his friendship. He only gets it because of his persistence. So what does that teach us in the area of prayer? Well, first off, in the area of prayer, there's only one kind of prayer that this could, could mean anything for. Bread is not being approached for anything that help needs. So this is not a prayer of need. This is not a prayer of asking. This is not a prayer of faith. Because in a prayer of faith, I ask what I know the Father says He wants. The prayer of faith involves knowing the will of the Father because, once again, faith begins where the will of God is known. If the will of God was known here, then help would have known that bread wanted me to have bread at midnight. But apparently when He knocked on the door... We didn't find that bread wanted him to have bread at midnight. We find that bread wanted to be left alone. So the will of the Father is not involved here. The only type of prayer that this can mean anything for is the prayer of intercession. Because in the prayer of intercession is when you stand in the gap. For one who, do, who does not know the Father, but you do. And you stand in the gap. This parable, its application... It's for the prayer of intercession. 
if you try and apply this type of prayer, this type of teaching, to any other prayer, you will get yourself in trouble. This only deals with the prayer of intercession. Because hungry does not know bread. Bread always has bread, which is the bread of life. Hungry needs the bread of life. But here's the thing. Does the Father want all to come to Him? Then why doesn't bread want hungry to have the bread of life? There is definite reasons. It seems that there's something going on and bread doesn't just want to get out there and help hungry out. He doesn't even know who hungry is. He doesn't, hasn't identified him. He just said a friend of mine has come. There are times when we in, the, in intercession will run into a hostile God. A God who is hostile to the one we are interceding for. And that's in the Scriptures. Because when Moses interceded for Israel, did he not encounter a hostile God? When Jeremiah interceded for Israel, did he not encounter a hostile God? There are times that you will run into a hostile God. Because God has gone into protection mode. Who is He protecting? Those in His family. Who is bread protecting? Those in His family. Because this request has come at a time that will affect those in His family. There are times that God is hostile to reach out to some people because of the effect that they've had. But just as Moses tapped in and knew the will of God. No, no, no. Hold on a minute. There's a judgment side of God here and, we've, and that's been activated. Alright, I understand the judgment side of God has been activated here. But let's get over here. Let's, let's get, activate the mercy side of God. Let's activate the mercy side of God. See, sometimes we can encounter intercession and if you tap yourself into it, you can find out there's a, God's hostile here. God's upset with these people. Why is He upset with them? What'd they do? You won't find that out with repetitious prayer. If all you do is repeat the things you're supposed to do in intercession that you've been taught to do, you will not find out what's going on. If Moses just repeated what he knew to do, what to say in prayer, would he ever gotten to the bottom of it? Moses had to step out of what he knew. He had to have a conversation with the Father God. Because God even said, Moses, step aside. I'm going to wipe these people out. I'm going to make of you a great and mighty nation. But Moses didn't step, step aside. There was another time that the children of Israel were in disobedience and Moses immediately recognized it. And as soon as he saw it, he got Aaron and they both got to the threshing floor and made supplication for the children of Israel. And then Moses got up and said to Aaron, the plague has already begun. And he says, do this. And he gives them some instructions on what to do to help the people. But the plague had already begun. They encountered a hostile God. When we read Deuteronomy chapter 28, and he says these things will come to you if you don't obey. What's coming to them? They're going to encounter a hostile God. There are times that God gets hostile towards some people. Why? Because He's protecting you. But there may be times that we have to access the mercy side of God. Father God, look, we just want to, we want to get into your mercy side for this one one more time. Jesus, in His teaching, in a parable we already looked at, He and the... Uh, the, the keeper of the vineyard and the owner came to a particular tree. And that particular tree was not producing fruit. And so the one who was Jesus in the story said to the owner of the vineyard, he says, don't cut it down because the owner of the vineyard already said, cut it down. Why should it take up the land? Is that owner hostile to that tree? 
Yeah. So what's Jesus do? Steps in the role of an intercessor. No, no, hold on. Give me another year with it. Let me work it. Let me get it some fertilizer. Let's do some stuff with it. Let's see what happens after the end of the year. If not, then we'll cut it down. He accessed the mercy side of God. There are times you have to do that. But see, you won't step into this kind of prayer by repetitious phrases, by saying the same things over, again, over and over again, by starting out our Father, by ending in Jesus' name, Amen, by having all the different parts in the middle. You won't get there. You won't get to this part of God by reading prayers out of a book. You get into church and they all say, turn over to such and such and let's read this prayer. And they all read that prayer. What's that do? Nothing? No, you got to get in there and you got to talk to God. you got to access God. What's going on with God? He then goes on. So I say to you, on the basis of this, what I just said. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now, of course, the tense of this is such that keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And people have come out of here with the, with the understanding and with the teaching by applying this to the wrong kinds of prayer that if I need a financial need and it doesn't come, then the answer was no. So I need to keep on asking. And if I still don't get it, then I still need to keep on asking. And I keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking and just keep on asking. Maybe a year or two down the road I might finally get that thing done. But that's not what Jesus teaches us about prayer. When Jesus needed healing for folks, what did He do? He commanded the thing, it was done. When they needed tax money, what's He do? Go get a fish. When they needed a Food to multiply and feed the multitude. What, do do? what does he do? Well, let's just see if we get it now. Let's keep on asking. He doesn't do that. But now look at verse 10, because verse 10 helps us understand this. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. I want you to notice something about this verse. Let me read it to you one more time and see if you catch it. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Does it not seem from that progression that it starts with a wide area and narrows its way down? Let me read it to you again. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks finds. Why doesn't he say everyone? Why doesn't he keep on the same thing? And everyone who seeks. He doesn't, does he? And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. The idea I get from this verse is that everyone is asking. Some are seeking. And a few are knocking. There's a progression. It's a narrowing of the focus. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who asks, receives. Well, in this area, this word ask, this is a needs-conscious level. 
A needs conscious level. How many of you all know when your kids are young, they are on a needs conscious level? What are they always doing? What do little kids do on a regular basis? Ask. They ask for what they need. They ask for about what this is. I mean, little kids can ask a thousand questions in a day. Can they not? Some are worse than others. Some are extremely irritating. A long time ago, I stopped getting irritated at little kids who wanted to ask thousands of questions. And I would flip the tables on them. I'll still do it to this day. You watch me sometimes with little kids. I will flip the tables on them and I will ask them more questions than they can fire back at me. I'll just keep asking them questions over and over. I'll ask them questions that don't even make sense. And then after a while, they start to think about some of those questions and try... And it begins to slow down their question-asking process. Now, I'm not telling you to go out there and do it. I'm just saying that's just something I picked up and, and started doing. I just started asking them all kinds of questions. I also started picking up that if they ask a question one time, I'll answer it, but I'm not going to answer it again. Because that teaches them to keep on asking the same question over and over. How many of you know kids who ask the same question over and over? Is that not irritating? So why in the world do we give in to it? I mean, sometimes they ask questions and there's no thought to it. There's no real basis. There's no real question going on. So there, if there's no real basis for it, what are they going to take in? Why does that happen? Do they really care? I mean, sometimes, just for fun, give them a real answer. Give them a real technical answer on the thing and just give them all the detail of the thing and after a while they may say, you know what? That's mm. <laughs> But little kids, their needs, they're, all, they, all they are focused on is, is needs. They see something, oh, I need to have the answer to this. Oh, I, I need to know what that is. Oh, oh, I need, who are you talking to? What did you say? How come this won't work? It's just, it's an instant need. It's a need now, but in two minutes it won't be a need. And we don't even think of the question anymore. They are needs-based. It's just all about need. What do I need right now? I need a drink. And we go on and we get to the refrigerator and we get them a drink and we bring it on out and then they leave it there. Right? We've all done that with them. You get the drink, you put it down on the table and then they're off doing something else. I thought you were thirsty. Yeah. Brother Hagen tells the story of Ken Jr. one time. That uh, he woke him up in the in the night. He was calling for him, and and so uh, Brother Hagen went in to, to see what he needed, and he said, "I need a drink of water." So Brother Hagen went down, got a glass of water, filled it up with some water, and brought it into him. And he took a sip, and said, "Thank you." And Brother Hagen said, "Oh no, oh no," he said, "You were calling me for a drink. You were dying of thirst." He said, "You're going to drink that whole thing." And he stayed there until Ken Jr. drank the entire cup of water. He didn't ask him for another one any other night. <laughs> needs, we get needs conscious. Everyone who asks receives. But we're needs conscious. There needs to be a progression out of that needs consciousness. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. There's a all kinds of verses that talk about this. I just copied down a couple of them here for you. But here in the seek area, 
Well, let me finish filling this out. As we said, this is a needs conscious level for the ask part. I come after God for what I know I need to live or my wants and desires. And that's all that we do. God wants us to get past that. He understands we're going to start there. Just like little kids, they start. They ask for everything they need. As soon as I need it, I ask mom for it. As soon as I, as soon as I think it, I ask somebody for it. Because I need it. I, I need it now. And at two minutes later, I'm forgotten. But then he goes on to seek. So there's a difference between asking and seeking. Anyone can ask anything, but seeking takes up some, some something. This is a hunger for understanding. This is a hunger for understanding level. This is a level that says, I need, I need, to, I need to seek after that. What is, how, how does that work? How does that go? This would be the thing, you know, somebody, a little kid comes to you and say, how does the grass grow? And maybe when they're little, we give them an answer or something and it satisfies them they go off. But as they get older, they may ask, how does the grass grow? And you as a mom or a dad may say, I want you to do something for me. I want you to go out there and find out what you can about how does grass go. I'd like to know myself. And you set them on a mission. And they begin to go out there and to seek how does the grass grow. How many kids have asked, why is the sky blue? They literally give them some kind of a crazy answer and they're satisfied with it and they go on to something else because they're just need-focused. Need, uh, but later on, they may say, why is the sky blue? You know what? I want you to find that out. Go, go do some, some study on that for me. You might even give them some other questions. You never see those outer space shots and you see the glow around the outside of the earth, how blue that is? Why is it blue? Why is it that white? Go see what you can find out. Let me know. You've set them on a quest to, to seek to find this thing out. But there has to be a hunger. There has to be a, a desire for it. I've said this to my, my son a number of times. I didn't have to say it to my daughter. But I, I get so irritated with schools. How many of you all know schools want to get kids to read? I think schools do this so backwards. I think it's the stupidest thing in the world that the schools do because what the schools do is they bring the students into the room and they have the literature class and they give them the big long novels. Read this and we're going to have a test on it at the end. And the young reader looks at this book that's this thick and it's intimidating to a lot of people. But how much to a young reader? And they look at this thing and it's about a topic they have no interest in. And instead of seeking after the answers for the test in the book... They ask for the answers from somebody else. I'm not seeking after knowledge. I'm merely asking so that I can write the right answer on the test. They don't transfer to these students a love for reading. And they don't love to read. My, my idea is, why don't you find out what kind of books the kids like to read? What kind of books the kids would like to read? And get them caught up in reading. And you know what might happen? They might go out there and read some of those books that you want them to read some of those classics, supposedly classics and stuff like that. You know, Moby Dick supposed to be a classic. You know, maybe they'll go out there and read a, a book like that. I don't spend my time reading classics now. My daughter does. She can probably finish Moby Dick off in a week. She's uh, just, uh, She was just over the house a little while ago. She said, she's talking about reading books. She said she was reading four right now. Four different books. You know, she pick up this one and go over to this one. And, and you know, she caught that hunger to read. She was seeking after something. But they're not doing that. You know, why, why not put a book in the hands of the kids that they actually want to read? Why not get them to read something they actually want to read? And then get them caught up in the reading. 
and then be able to go out there and read some things that will help them. But as it is, we teach the kids to hate reading because we put stuff in their hands they don't want to deal with, have anything to do with. So they're not going to seek after that kind of knowledge. They're not going to go after that sort of stuff. And, you know, I had some, a number of literature classes. I can remember two books I read in high school. I still remember everything about those books because I actually like those books. They're the only two books I ever liked that they gave me to read in high school. It was uh, 1984. And um, uh, I just forgot the name of it. Animal Fun. Those are the only two books I ever read in high school. I skipped reading all the rest of them and found my way through the tests. When I got to college, things did not change. I had first, first freshman year, I had a literature class. I forget which literature class it was. And they gave me a book, the first book they gave me. You know, Mom and Dad, they all want to know what you're doing. What are you doing in a book? And, and re- gave them the book I was reading in literature class. And when I said the name of it, my mom said, Oh, the King's College has given you that book to read? I said, Yeah, why? Well, that's not a real good book. A little racy. I said, Really? That's all I needed to know. I didn't read it. And I, got, I think I got a B in it. You know, I, I know how to fudge my way through some of that stuff, and I just, I, I just wanted to survive. I just wanted to get through it. And uh, so I didn't read any other literature books that they gave me for the rest of the year. Now, I'm not teaching you to do this sort of stuff. I'm just saying this is what I did. <laughs> but the only thing that got me into reading, one time was uh, they, they had this, this uh, I took this elective course. It was a biology course. And you had to pick what it is you were going to do your paper in. And we had to write a 50-page paper on this thing. Now, I talked to my, my son. He never had to write a 10-page paper. I don't think throughout the whole year. 50 pages typed this thing had to be. And you needed references for it. But oh, but you could pick whatever it was that you wanted in this, in this topic. So I picked the bubonic plague. And I still remember carrying a dozen books into church while my dad was doing uh, different lessons and different stuff. And I'd sit there and I'd read this and read this from this book and I'd make notes on the card. And I had no problem getting 50 pages written on the bubonic plague. But see, I sought after something. There's a difference between asking and seeking. I got an A-plus in that course. But I was seeking after something. You've got to get to a point in your Christian walk where you stop just asking for the needs at hand and you begin to seek after who God is, the knowledge of God, worshiping God. What does His Word really say? What does His Word really teach me about prayer? I don't want to just ask anybody about this. I want to seek it out. I want to find out what does it to me. What is God saying? And that's a transference. When you go from asking all the time, just when something, as soon as something comes up, you just ask. Who can I ask? Who can I ask about this? And you go on to a spot where I'm going to seek after God on this thing. This is a hunger for understanding. It's like an investigator. You're searching for clues in a case. Oh, I've got to find out what, what are the clues. You know, it's like a Columbo. Columbo doesn't ask people what's going on. He is seeking after what's happening. And he asks some questions sometimes to throw people off. Monk, when he goes out there, he doesn't need to ask questions about what happened. He tells people because he looks around and he seeks after things and he sees stuff to, to build, build knowledge on. That's what we need to do. We need to progress to that seeking level. 
In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Those who seek me diligently will find me. Jesus said to everyone, to everyone who asks, it will be given to what? He who seeks and to him who knocks. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please Him for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If we diligently seek Him, we will find Him. We will find what we are seeking for. He doesn't just have us go seeking. He, has this, he, he puts things in front of us. Instead of just asking questions, he begins, to, what do you, he begins to sow things on the inside of my spirit for me to go seek after. But you see, if you don't Get out of the asking stage. You never get into the seeking stage. You have to go grow dissatisfied with the asking stage and begin to get into the seeking stage. You know, you do this with the kids growing up. How many times, Mom, what is there to drink? What do you do when they're real little? You go into the refrigerator and you see what there is to drink. You see what kind of options you have to offer them. But as they get older, 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old. And they say, Mom, what is there to drink? What is your response? Go seek the refrigerator. Right? Go and look. Go do your own seeking. And if you keep sowing that thought often enough, often enough, you hope that when they come in, they stop with the asking process completely and they just go and they seek. That's what you want them to do. Go and seek Look for what, what is there. But then he goes into this other one. And to him who knocks. What do you do when you knock? What does it mean when you knock? Does it generally mean that you want to go in? Isn't that what knocking... You, you go up in your friend's house and you knock on the door. You go up to the, the girlfriend's house to pick him up. You knock on the door. This is an entry. Enter into the chamber level. This is a time when we're, we are not just seeking after God, but I have sought after God. I have looked for God. And all of a sudden I see, there's a place over here. There's a place. This is God's place. If it wasn't God's place, I would just go into it, wouldn't I? But this is God's I've been seeking. There's a, there's a place over here. I found this place here. This belongs to God. I know God's inside. So what do we do? Knock. I knock. Because I want to gain entry. I want to gain access to something that's inside. I either want to enter in or I want what's inside to be released to me. This man knocked on the door because he wanted the bread that was inside to be released to him. If we go and knock on the girlfriend's house, we want the girl to be released to us for the date. Maybe we want to come in. But we don't. when we knock, we either want to come in or we want something on the inside to come out. Isn't that generally what it is? And this is for anybody. If a salesperson comes to your door and they knock, what do they want? I want your money to come from you to me. I want you to release. I want you to, to agree. To, when we knock, there's a, there, we're expecting something. Something to come to me or for me to come in. That's what we knock for. That's what this person in this story was knocking for. They knocked on the door 
not because they wanted to come in at that time, but because they wanted something on the inside to be released to them to the outside. When we hit this, this is the enter into the chamber level. This is the time where either I want to enter into the chamber of God or I want something from the chamber of God to come to me. In this particular case, as an intercessor, he was seeking something on the inside, the bread, to come to him so that he could take it over to this other one. Those who entered in did so not for their own needs, but for two reasons. People who knock on the chamber either knock to worship God more intimately. I'm going to enter into the chamber and I want to worship you, Father God, because I have seen that you desire intimate worship. And I want to knock on the chamber door and I want to enter in to a more intimate time of worship with you. I want to enter into something that God says He needs from me. Or to receive what is needed for God's kingdom. I want to receive the bread so I can take it over here to hungry. Feed them. That's why it seems to narrow. Because many are those who ask. In fact, just about everybody asks something of God. Even people who aren't born again seem to ask something of God. But it narrows down those who actually seek after things. And it narrows down even more those who will knock expecting to enter in or something on the inside to come out to them. So here on the ask, on this level, I am aware of my physical needs but not my spirits or those of God's kingdom. On the ask level, I am aware of my physical needs, but not my spirits or those of God's kingdom. We've got to get out on that level. Understand, we're going to start there at that level, but we've got to get beyond it. At the seek level, on this level, I am more aware of the kingdom's needs than my own. I'm still aware of my needs, but I'm more aware of the kingdom's needs than my own needs. Progress up to the knock level. On this level, I go into the chamber with God to bring out what is needed in the kingdom. On this level, I go into the chamber with God to bring out what is needed in the kingdom. What He's teaching us here in this area of prayer is there are times that you need to come not only asking, but seeking. And not only seeking, but actually coming up to the door and knocking. Just picture this house at midnight. We've gone past the point of asking. We're at the point of seeking. How many of us would just come up to the house and seek to see if anyone was awake inside? Just look. How about what would we do? We look around for, is there a light on in there? Is the TV set on? Maybe is there a light flickering? TV kind of light? Is somebody up? We're looking for signs of life. Maybe we're listening. Here, if anybody's walking around the inside. But this person didn't do that. They went past the seeking stage. They're not just seeking to see if anybody's out there. No, they come up and they knock. How many of you have the boldness to go to your neighbor's house at midnight and knock on their door? How many of you have that boldness? But he uses this story to say, I want you to get to know the Father so well that you would come not only seeking, but you would come all the way up to the point of knocking on the door at midnight for the needs of another. And even if you got a negative answer, you still would keep pressing in because you know you can access the mercy side of God, not just the judgment side. You know what this world needs. You know what hungry needs. And you know who's got it. And you come all the way up to the point where you are so bold that at midnight you come knocking on His door. And when He says, no, I'm not coming out, 
Forget about all the reasons. Those are not godly reasons. That's an earthly story and he put earthly reasons in it. God is not holding excuses. You know what? My wife and kids went to bed. God doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have kids. Not in that sense. He's got a family uh, a different way. We are all part of the family of God. But what He wants us to do is get to that point where we will knock. Do you see the progression? And will we be one who will follow in that progression? Or are we just going to go out there and just say, well, just keep on asking. Well, you don't know. Just keep on asking. Eventually God might hear you. Eventually God might come out there and do it. You know about that parable. They had to keep knocking. They had to keep seeking. They had to keep banging on the door. Eventually God will come out. He'll get frustrated. He'll get just tired of hearing you belly aching outside the other door. And just, that's not God. God doesn't answer for those reasons. The guy in the story would answer for those reasons. But you've got to know what our God is like. Everybody can ask. Some go as far as to seek. And then there are a few who will knock. With the expectation to enter in, to receive what the world needs, where will we be? Will we go as far as He has given us to do in this story? Or are we going to stop short? We're just going to be askers. Oh, Father God, I need this, and I need this need taken care of, and I need this over here. I thank You for supplying my need according to Your riches and glory. Amen. Are we going to seek after God? Are we going to be satisfied with vain repetitions in worship and prayer? Or are we going to seek after God? Not just seek, but come and knock on the door and say, Father God, I want to come into the very throne room of worship. I understand. I know where it is now. I've been seeking and I know where it is. It's right here. This is the door. This is your door. So I'm knocking because this is your place. Can I come in? Or can what I need come out? Father God, we thank You for the help that You give us. We want to progress from being askers to seekers. From seekers to knockers. And those who receive the things that the world needs. We know that we start being mindful of the things that we need. Oh, but Father, we want to progress to the point where we are seeking after God and as we seek after God, we get the heart of God and we pretty soon are not even focused on our needs. We're just focused on getting what the world needs to help the world. We know that Jesus taught us, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these other things, they'll be added unto you. We won't even have to be asking. We won't have to be concerned. Because as we seek after doing your will in this world, you just look after how you can bless us. And our needs are all taken care of. We thank you for it, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.